Royal Rumble 96 took place January 21st, 1996 at the Sealand Arena in Fresno, California. There were 9,600 in attendance and it did 260,000 buys. Now Matt, what I like to do when we do WCW and WWF events is kind of compare. And in my notes here, I see that Starcade had 8,200 in attendance and did 113,000 buys. World Rumble had 9,600 in attendance and did 260,000 buys. So they're kind of going back and forth because last month when we talked about World War III and in your house, those buys and attendance were reversed. You know, WCW had the advantage. They're kind of going back and forth at this point, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, it'd be a couple months before there'd start to be a clear, consistent favorite as far as who is quote-unquote winning. But there were still some things to be done. There were still some moves that were made that led to those shifts. So I guess it still makes sense that they were kind of neck and neck at this point. A lot of good in both, but there were some things to improve on in both. Now, the opening promo for this, the opening video, do you remember the Shawn Michaels collapsing angle? Yeah, it was kind of, uh, I don't want to say first of its kind because maybe someone else had done it, but it was convincingly portrayed. Yeah, in fact, me and Adam watched it live. Not in attendance, but we watched it when it happened. And we thought for sure something had happened to him. And for those who don't know, if, if you haven't seen the Raws leading up to this, pretty much he was in a match against Owen Hart. Owen Hart did his insiguri kick where he someone grabs his foot as he's kicking and Owen Hart kicks him in the back of the head. And Michaels throws Owen Hart outside the ring right after it. And then as Michaels is in the ring, he's kind of doing his showboat thing before he looks up and has a dazed look in his eyes and just collapses. And they did the whole thing, man. I mean, they worked everybody. They took him to the hospital. They did a real ambulance trip to the hospital. Vince McMahon gets off mic, and he's over in the ring attending to him. It had a look that something had seriously happened to him. And I remember us just looking at each other like, what the fuck? They, of course, played this up for all the sympathy. We had the Tell Me a Lie video, which I remember, even without having to watch the Ross for this, I still remember that video to this day. And it really built up him coming to this event. And, you know, we even have an interview with the doctor in this where he's going to say, I don't recommend him being in there with 29 other guys, but he's in great shape and he's he feels like he's ready. I think he's ready too. But if anything were to happen, I will be right there to attend to him. So they were building this up. And this was the start of Shawn Michaels' ascent into the world title picture, isn't it? Well, it was take two, you could argue, because they wrestled with it, no pun intended. Promise that was a Freudian slip. Uh, <laughs> the year before, by having him win the Rumble, face Diesel for the belt, but they didn't, they didn't strike while the iron was hot, which is fitting because there will be an Iron Man match where that happens. <laughs> uh, that's two in a row, purely coincidence, I swear. <laughs> But they were trying it as a full-fledged babyface this time, which they did not do the previous year. So uh, the writing was on the wall. I think everybody, even at the time, knew that Sean was the betting favorite to win this Rumble again, and in all likelihood, Russell Brett. I think that was as abundantly clear as it could be. Not that I view that as a negative, but as someone who's not the biggest fan... Really, either guy, it's kind of, I'm dreading this next few months building up to this Iron Man match, and that match included, because it's been years since I've watched it. Definitely things to talk about when we get there. As far as that goes, you know, you, you say they didn't strike when the iron was hot. You know who needed to be convinced that Michaels was the guy? It was Vince. Vince. Yes. He was like, that fucker will never win the title. You know, he's too small. But Pritchard and all of them were telling him, dude, look at the responses he's getting. People are behind this guy. We need to strap the trailer to him. But Vince was convinced that Diesel was his guy. And, and, and so, also, Sean's substance abuse issues were well noted. I mean, this is the guy. He, I swear to God, up to this point, he had never been pinned clean to lose a title. It was either, no. like, you know, he, he vacates the IC title the first time because he got busted for drugs, which led to the WrestleMania 10 match. He lost it because he got punched by Marines. He he had a history even up to this point, so I I don't blame Vince for being reluctant for that reason. I think the size argument is bullshit because he put the belt on Brett, who is of comparable size. And look, it's not like when Ric Flair got the belt, yeah, he was a much bigger star, but he's not a huge guy. So I don't think that was a that was a 
good argument, but I also think he was wrong to keep the belt on Diesel as long as he did. Well, if you ask Kevin Nash, Nash will say that Michael's substance abuse didn't really get bad until, ironically, he won the title. Because Nash felt it too. He was told, you're going to be going over at the Garden. You're going to be taking the title. Nash is excited. He wins it. He leaves the arena. He takes the belt to the hotel. He lays it on the bed. He looks at it and goes, all right, now what? Now you start feeling the pressure. Yeah, you, you finally get to the top, and it's like, all yeah. right, how do, I, how do I stay here? Exactly. And I think that's when Sean really started medicating himself to forget that fact. And we'll see that. He didn't have Nash looking over his shoulder to, after a certain point to kind of keep him in check. Well, yeah, that, and once Nash left, absolutely. Yeah, um, I think but, that contributed. I, I think, and we'll talk about this throughout the year, I think that he, there's going to come a point where I think Deep down, he wanted to jump ship to WCW, and that opportunity never presented itself. You think so? Um, yeah, because I, I think you're asking me, when when should Sean have jumped? Because I'm of that mentality. I think things would be a lot different if Sean was the one who went to WCW instead of Brett. And I think right after WrestleMania 13, now obviously a lot of stuff would not have happened, Montreal being included, but you look at 97, where he could have wrestled Sting, he could have been a huge part of the NWO. Granted, it would have been Hogan and Friends versus Nash and Friends. <laughs> and that company might not have even lasted until 2001. Yeah. But I think it's it's a what if. And who knows? He might not even still be alive. You know, that, that back injury might have saved his life. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a lot of ways. In a certain way. So, you know, wrestling's all about what ifs, but, you know... There is a certain reality where I'd want to see what would have happened if Brett never got screwed and Sean went by his own fruition to WCW. There are a few other things I want to discuss before we get to the event. Some things that they're building up here. Number one, we have the return of Jake the Snake Roberts. Now, Jake the Snake Roberts is a guy I loved growing up. I mean, the way he softly spoke to the camera, the way he just mesmerized you with every one of his promos. He was fantastic. And the way he literally slithered in and out of the ring and... Damien, of course. Now, he's gained a little bit of weight. He is claiming that he's converted to Christianity, and he has a new lease on life and a fresh attitude. He's claiming he's clean, but if you talk to anybody who was backstage at that time, they will say he was not. He has a yellow snake named Revelation, and he speaks about his personal demons and turning them around. This was not a great gimmick No change. And you want to know the one person who can verify that he was not sober? Jerry Lawler. Because mm-hmm. that man took every opportunity to rip on Jake the Snake for being a drunk. Yes. In a storyline that we will definitely talk about. But yeah. I'm not even just talking about that storyline. You, you watch the, the Pick Your Poison DVD, and that's all Lawler does in those interviews. You know, I never did see that one, actually. Yeah, because that came out before the Resurrection one. Okay. Um, right, that's the one I have seen. Is the resurrection? Yeah, that, that's the good. That's the positive one. <laughs> the picture <laughs> okay. poison one. It's sort of like when they put out the self destruction of the Ultimate Warrior DVD. That's what I thought of when you said it was just. Yeah. It was just kick them while he's down. Yes. Uh, you know, and sort of you know, WWF promotional grandstanding bullshit. But you know, look at this roster. It, it's '96. You know, the start. Uh, someone else who made. You talk about someone who came back to the company. We gotta talk about somebody who makes their debut on this pay per view. I was getting to it. Included in this series of vignettes, you know, this big promo video leading up to uh, the start of the event, we have images and video of someone else working out by the name of not Big Van Vader, but Vader. He's working out on stationary bikes, he's flipping on a trampoline, and this is somebody who I will say they handle his first month in this company brilliantly i loved his debut i loved him taking care of gorilla monsoon the way he does and him rebelling against authority i loved him having jim Cornette as his mouthpiece it's not until a certain match when all of that goes to shit and we'll get to it throughout the course of us covering these events but i love the way they handled it at least the beginning of vader what about you sir absolutely and for all the the people who went to wcw 
this was kind of a coup to get Vader. If you're mm-hmm. Vince, you know, there's a guy, former world champion, you know, great matches with Flair and was a believable monster heel, especially with Yokozuna, his condition getting worse. I think bringing in Vader was a great way to get back to like 93 Yokozuna, where he's just the unstoppable monster and believable. I mean, his punches are the scariest looking punches of any wrestler. Yeah. And, and for a guy like, you know, you look at the, like the best big men in wrestling, on athletic ability alone, he's up there. You know, you got a guy that size who could do moonsaults. Yes. And you look at him, you're like, you see this fat guy walking out with a jock strap on his face. And you're like, <laughs> what What the hell is this? And he gets in the ring, and he's doing ground and pound before UFC became really popular. Mm-hmm. I mean, he could with have black been. Gloves. Yeah. yeah, he could have been a lot more than what he was in this company, but you could not have asked for a better debut, but he was not the person I was alluding to. I know, I know. I'm getting to that too. Also, you know, when you talk about Vader, I don't know if you remember him in the WCW days in the beginning, but he would come out with this huge fucking mask and he would set it down and then the steam would come out of all the fucking mask. It's like a big uh, minotaur head. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's get to the debut you're talking about. So another debut happened a couple weeks before this he shows up at this event we have ted dibiase introducing him as the new million dollar champion the one and only ringmaster, ringmaster aka steve austin a gimmick he still talks about to this day as it being shit but i gotta say as somebody who loved his wcw work i was excited to see him here in wwf what about you yeah he was the in some ways, the biggest loss WCW has ever had. Obviously, Austin was not brought in with Vince's mentality of this guy's going to be my next Hogan. It just happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, because look at this gimmick. This, this does not scream the biggest star in wrestling. When like, I think remaster, I think of people running circuses. I don't think. Yeah, like, like he should come out with like a, a hula hoop on fire. And <laughs> but but yeah, this was you know a guy who was very established in WCW. He won every belt except the world title. Mm-hmm. You talk about people that Steamboat really helped. He's up there. Mm-hmm. To him and Brian Pillman were a great tag team. Oh, yeah. So he had done everything except get to that next spot. And, of course, he was infamously fired over the phone. And he was in ECW for a cup of coffee where he sort of saw hints of the Stone Cold character. But, you know, this was a, a big get. Not that it was fully implemented to its best extent, because this this gimmick is awful. And this is the same thing, you know, obviously Austin is tied to The Rock. And they both came in the exact same way with stupid gimmicks. And they had to completely overhaul them for them to get to that level. I mean, you could say the same thing about Triple H. You know, a lot of the guys of this era that came in, I want to say handicapped, because they had talent, but they were not automatically positioned to be in a spot where they'd be running the, running the company. And that's why I am so happy, Matt, that we are doing these shows the way we're doing them, because we're seeing that evolution. You know, Helmsley is no going to... Triple H. <laughs> I did not mean to do that. But we are seeing the evolution of these characters, right? I mean, they're coming in with terrible gimmicks. Triple H is coming out with a bow, for Christ's sake. That's his whole gimmick. He's this... Yeah, coming out with, like, Beethoven music. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, both... It's funny, like, the opposite end of the spectrum. We had, like, fucking Nash in WCW as Oz. Uh-huh. Eddie Vegas. You know, it's it's not like... Not everybody gets handed a great gimmick. Like, it's... Hall is the diamond stud. <laughs> yeah, like, it's a lot of these guys, I mean... Maybe the Undertaker worked as well as it did when that first started. You know, it's on this show, it's still going strong. But, like, you know, it's... But 96, like, you look at Vader, you look at Mankind when he debuts later this year, I think those characters really hit the ground running. So they showed they could do it. But a lot of them were just, you know, kind of victims of circumstance. And I think a couple of them, in the case of Austin and The Rock, it was more so them that caused that change. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of interesting stuff. I mean, look, you have the Goldust character that, that mm-hmm. started strong. So it, it's not like it was completely impossible, but the odds were you were going to be, if you were coming in, especially from WCW, you were not going to be coming in with the strongest of, uh, strongest of a rocket ship on your, on your back. Well, yeah. And speaking of Helmsley, I mean, he's in the free-for-all in the beginning here. He's taking on Duke the Dumpster Trosi. 
I thought Triple H wasn't in the doghouse until later this year. <laughs> exactly. We talked about him taking on the Hog Farmer last month. Here he's taking on Duke the Dumpster Drossy, and the winner is going to get number 30, and the loser is going to get number one. Guess what? Hunter hits, him. <laughs> Hunter hits him with brass knuckles. It's a disqualification, and Hunter enters at number one. But I would say, you know, without getting into the rumble yet, I mean, he does kind of prove himself in this event. So would you, would you call it a blessing in disguise? I, I call this paying your dues. <laughs> okay. Um, because for all the things you can say about Triple H, and everybody has their two cents, fans, people that have worked with him, uh, you get both ends of the spectrum. You cannot say he was handed everything immediately with a silver spoon. Oh, God, no. He it's earned everything. Like, yeah. It, certain, you know, he took some liberties, which we'll talk about, but th- this, he was not one of those people who came in and just immediately was, you know, at the top of the card. You talk about working your way from the ground up. Uh, it, the floor doesn't get a lot lower than this. But But even then, like, you... They knew he was going to be pigeonholed to be the king of the ring this year. Yeah. Um, so it's not like you could say they didn't have plans for him. You wouldn't know watching this freaking match. <laughs> uh, but they they had their eyes on him at some point. I mean, king of the ring was supposed to be June, so I think they had an idea. Because remember back in the day when they planned shit ahead of time? Well, not, just <laughs> a, not just on a cocktail napkin. <laughs> Before we get to the event, since this is our first Royal Rumble that we're covering together, what do you think of the Royal Rumble concept as a whole? Oh, next to WrestleMania, this is my favorite pay-per-view. Is it? Uh, I always think it's a great way to kick off the year, get you excited for WrestleMania. There's always that unknown factor, for the most part, unless you know going in who's going to win the match. Uh, but but it's a, it's a great concept. 96, they had a hill to climb, though, because the 95 Rumble sucked. Uh, prominently because the only two guys that had any chance of winning were the first two that entered the match. <laughs> like, look at that roster. It's Sean and the Bulldog and nobody else. And you had Owen Hart there. You had... He was in and out. Yeah. You had the Hog Farmer who entered number 30. <laughs> Yeah. I remember I, me and Omar ordered that pay-per-view. We watched it live. And, like, Pamela Anderson was the highlight of that one for us. <laughs> we'll get to that event soon enough. Um, I'm the same as you, man. I, I love World Rumbles. Eventually, we're going to get to the World Rumble 90, which is the one I remember the most because that was when Hogan and Warrior faced off for the very first time. That was so memorable. I was so excited during that event, and it definitely got me excited for WrestleMania six, which I think is what the Royal Rumble's purpose is. It yeah, starts it, off the year as a pay-per-view. It's setting up WrestleMania. Yeah, and I was at Royal Rumble 03, which we'll talk about. Oh, were you really? I didn't know I that. I was up in Boston. That was at the uh, what's now the TD Garden. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I've seen in person one of the best world title matches and one of the worst world title <laughs> matches I've ever seen. <laughs> I saw them back-to-back. Uh, and this, like, this concept, when you think of so many of the iconic moments, like you mentioned the, st- the stare-down, Mm-hmm. Uh, you had Brett and Luger winning at the same time, which was kind of a, you know, still the only time it's happened. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll have stuff that's, was it supposed to be funny, but was? Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. Have you seen the 05 Rumble? I have not. Okay, so. The last one I saw was 04. All right, so you did not see the Vince McMahon tearing both of his quads. I have heard about it, but I have not oh seen it. Oh, my God, it's yeah. so fucking <laughs> Yeah, we'll get we'll, we'll definitely get to that. I was at a Royal Rumble as well, and we're going to cover it in the course of this particular era. I was at the '98 Royal Rumble with Austin winning, and dude, it was so exciting. You know, those 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 events are so exciting because for the most part, you don't know who's going to come out. You know, and when you hear that buzzer and the music plays, you're like, oh god, yes, 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 or oh shit, you know. <laughs> But, yeah, it's a very exciting event. I'm the same as you, dude. I, I, I love this event with a passion. And I'm, I'm excited to go through ones that I haven't seen yet, you know. Even the 03 one, which you mentioned, which I did order live, and 04, which I ordered live. Like, I don't remember it. I don't remember any one from 2002 on, pretty much. Well, 2003. I remember 2002 pretty well. Yeah, well, you, you have to remember 01 because of Drew Carey. Yeah, well, of course. Yeah, definitely. But I'm, I'm saying the 03 and 04 ones are kind of a blur to me. And, of course, after that, 
I am a Rumble virgin. I don't know anyone from 05 on. I've been to two. I've been to 03 and I've been to 08 at MSG. Oh, you bastard. You had to one-up me. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. You you watch that pay-per-view. We'll get to it. We'll definitely get to it. I watched this one live, too. This was one me and Omar and I believe, yeah, me, Omar, and Adam watched this live when it was on. And, you know, it was in fresno which was about two hours away from where we live so we could have gone if we really wanted to i don't remember why we didn't we had gone to super brawl uh we go to super brawl in 97 together and i went to super Bowl 98 by myself but we didn't go to this but it was exciting you know again real rumble i was a huge Shawn michaels fan it was the writing was on the wall that michaels was going to win this but i still was excited to see how it happened and plus we still had diesel in we had undertaker in this bret hart's here it's it's a really good era of wrestling and i was excited when it started but matt when it starts we're not starting off with a promo package we're starting off with sunny in a bathtub Saying yeah, that the- and, and all the parents in the room that were watching this with their kids <laughs> went freaked out. Because <laughs> this was so much more promiscuous than anything the WWF had done at this time. Absolutely. Uh, like, yeah. Now, obviously, for me, you know, it doesn't move. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but I get why so many people were, Dude. like, a lot of parents were like, what? what? This isn't wrestling. Like, what? Dude. <laughs> As an 18-year-old watching this, this was, as they say, all the way live for me. <laughs> I was a huge Sonny Mark. And I am—I will say that, I will admit this on the air, I did have a Sonny poster. So she was one of my favorites. It's a damn shame what has happened to her since. You know, you and me and Adam were talking the other day. She is, she is in prison. She was so fucking attractive and she was a huge part of what helped wwf grow into the women's division it was yeah it did go into the tna portion of wrestling at that time you know when we had sable and all of them come in and do pretty much tna matches and whatnot but she did help the company grow she was something that people gravitated to people loved seeing her come out she had a charisma to her you attach her to any team, they will get over, except for the Road Warriors. <laughs> they will get over. So it, I love Sonny, and I will fight to the death that she was a huge part of the growth of the WWF. We then get the intro, and then we have our two commentators. We have Vince McMahon and Mr. Perfect. Now, Matt, we talked about Vince, Mr. Perfect's commentary when we did Survivor Series. Here he is back. Were you excited to see him back? Yeah, he does. I think he does a better job on this show. Than I agree. Did. That's a private series. I mean, it helps that's only two of them this time. There's mm-hmm. not a third, third person they have to maneuver around. But I thought this was... I'm also on his side for a considerable portion of this. There's a certain reaction he has that I'm like... Dude, I was watching it today, <laughs> which is why I did the latest, because I had to finish watching it. But I know the exact reaction you're talking about. <laughs> Our first match is two of your favorites. Ahmed Johnson versus Jeff Jarrett. God, this is like re- this is like wrestling Nyquil. <laughs> we get it out of the way early, is what I will say. <laughs> we start off with Jarrett trying to lure Ahmed Johnson into a trap. Johnson then hits him with his power. He uses shoulder blocks and a power slam and a lot of yelling from Ahmed Johnson. He does a lot of screaming in his matches. That's all he could do. Yeah, <laughs> is it written? Was it that diverse either? People hated working with this guy oh god bret hart like mm-hmm. listen to him talk about him booker t talks about him undertaker too yeah like mm-hmm. i don't think he he did himself any favors throughout his entire run and there was a reason they put him with ron simmons when ron simmons came in because they knew that ron simmons would teach this fucker a lesson and sure enough <laughs> that's exactly what happened ahmed tumbles out of the ring when he misses a crossbody. he catches his wrist in the ropes this looked like an accident this was a weird spot Jared attacks him on the floor and focuses on Ahmed Johnson's back. He shakes off the offense, though, and jogs around the ring. He hits Jared with a spine buster. Jared regroups, so Ahmed dives over the ropes, and he lands on his head. Ow. Oh, God, this guy was greener than grass. Oh, my God, yeah. Not that Jeff Jarrett's an in-ring general, but even he doesn't... He looks lost with this guy. <laughs> Vince had a thing for these big, strong dudes. And I believe uh, Bill Watts also really wanted him in the Federation. In fact, he wanted to call him Buck Johnson, which, <laughs> which 
not have gone over very well. Oh, yeah, from a southern guy, yeah. Mm-hmm. I trust him completely. Exactly. But, dude, you're right. The dude is so green in this match. Johnson then climbs the ropes, but he misses a flying somersault. Jarrett capitalizes with a figure four. Johnson reverses this, but con- Jarrett continues attacking his leg. Johnson then shoves him to the floor, and Jarrett, he's just had enough of this shit. He grabs his guitar, leaps off the top rope, and smashes it over Ahmed Johnson's head, so the ref calls for the bell at 6 minutes 40 seconds. Ahmed Johnson wins by DQ. What do you think of the match? Uh, <laughs> about what you could expect coming from me. I thought this sucked. <laughs> but, but, like... <laughs> Uh, the crowd was behind Ahmed, and they were doing everything in their power to make him look like a million bucks, even though he couldn't catch the check. When he takes the drop toe hold onto the race steps, he can't plant his hands properly, nope. misses the swan time. It looks like Jeff has to move closer so he can actually hit it. Yeah. Oh, God, this... I mean, part of the reason why he didn't go to where he wanted to be, part of injury was a big factor, but also he just wasn't good enough. Like, no. see what... It, we're going to talk about Goldberg in a couple years... But that guy knew how to work with a limited skill set. Uh, and they knew how to work him over that way. I think Ahmed, they were they were so in love with the potential, but they didn't realize what they actually had as far as his limitations. Yeah. And, you know, the main event, the, and the opening era is where Jeff Jarrett belongs anyway, so. <laughs> I was just about to say, I'm not going to knock Jarrett for this because look who he's in the ring with, dude. <laughs> What's he gonna do? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like I just the one of the only times I feel bad for him. But look, to quote Mike Graham, it's one of my favorite quotes ever. The man broke six million guitars and never drew a dime. <laughs> you quoted Mike Graham. Wow, that's one of my favorite quotes on that fucking <laughs> that that Rise and Fall of WCW DVD sucked, but that's one of my the, the best quotes <laughs> because it's so true. <laughs> So much so that the man built his own fucking company so he could give himself. Like, he, the, the Jeff Jarrett reign of terror in TNA is <laughs> ten times worse than anything Triple H did in 2003. Never did get into TNA, so. Mm. Well, not that TNA. No. Because <laughs> we'll get TNA uh, in 99, Tested Albert, with Trish. Oh, God, that's right. <laughs> You're right. That's, that's coming in 2000, I think. We get a promo with diesel next he uh tap top bent girl saying that diesel's the odds on favorite to win the world rumble and diesel then makes one of my favorite looks of all time when he looks at the camera just kind of shakes his head he says that he's got to face people like Shawn michaels and vader and diesel's praising sean for winning last year and but he calls vader unproven he says that it definitely is not vader time it's big daddy cool time and then Pettengill says, well, what's your problem with The Undertaker? He says, he doesn't have a problem with The Undertaker. He just has an issue with Undertaker being number one contender. And then he says that he hopes Brett and Taker have a good match. But he says neither can match up to the big D, quote unquote. I love this promo. This is my favorite Diesel, is this Diesel right here. From here through his last match is probably the best run he had in the company. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, his match with Taker. Oh, I can't wait till we get to that one. Our next match is a tag team title match between the Smoking Guns, who are champions, versus the Body Donnas with Sonny. The match starts off with the Guns reversing the Body Donnas double team attempts. First of all, what do you think of the Body Donnas? What a weird concept, huh? Well, these are two stupid gimmicks. <laughs> I don't mind the Smoking Guns, although I think we mentioned in the last pay-per-view with them, their gimmick had pretty much run its course by this point. Uh, and the Body Donnas were pretty much a comedy gimmick, really. I mean, they started off, Sonny and Skip would come out with, you know, they do jumping jacks, and they'd be these these fitness people encouraging people to get off their asses and exercise, and it didn't last very long, and you have them team up with Tom Pritchard, who is Bruce Pritchard's brother here. I don't yeah, think they did I mean, him any favors with this. No, no, nobody was done any semblance of service. No. Except for the turndown service that Sonny might have provided after the show. But... <laughs> They hit Skip with some punches. However, Sonny's distracting Billy Gunn with some skin, which would do nothing for Matt if he were in the ring. <laughs> Zip. Zip tags and demands Bart, but that backfires on him as the Guns use their own double teaming, so Sonny once again climbs on the apron to complain. Billy knocks her to the floor by accident. He then checks on her, so the body donnas attack him. They control Billy with some double team moves and some ref distractions. 
Bart hits the hot tag after the Donos run into each other, and he just cleans the ring out. The guns then nail the sidewinder. I always like that move, but Sonny distracts the ref yet again. Skip then gives Billy a flying axe handle while the ref isn't looking. This isn't enough. The Donnas then try a double suplex and Billy spear skip and Bart rolls zip up for the win at 11 minutes, 14 seconds. Winners, smoking guns. What do you think of the match, Matt? Basic tag match. Uh, Sonny was the biggest star of the of this whole five people. Yeah, agreed. It was a. I agree. It was a basic tag match. We mentioned quite often on this podcast about the the second match slump where you know you have a hot match to start and the second match kind of gets the crowd a little calmed down a bit, maybe settle down in their seats. That's what they're trying to do here. And uh, yeah, it's pretty basic though. You're right. Well, you know what's not basic, Matt? The billionaire Ted Rasslin War Room. God, he was going to have to eat crow. It just like eight months after this. We have billionaire Ted, the huckster, the nacho man, and scheme gene. Weird that there's no Bischoff here. I, I thought for sure they'd have a Bischoff, but I guess Vince McMahon didn't really want to recognize Bischoff as the man who is well, trying to was... take down the company. He wants it all pointed to Ted Turner. We viewed him as just like an extension of Ted Turner, like his lackey. Yeah. Uh, and I think that was also one of Vince's problems is he underestimated Bischoff. I also think Vince uh, is another person he underestimated, and that's Paul Heyman. Well, Vince was <laughs> subsidizing Paul Heyman at this point, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah. So was Bischoff. <laughs> <laughs> we have Billionaire Ted saying that they should name nickname the Huckster the Boy Toy. Uh, we also, I, I don't know, I didn't, I don't know if I saw it before this viewing, but I saw Vince Russo here. He's one of the executives in yeah, this war. Yeah, one of the advisors. This is like his first on-screen appearance, I think. Mm-hmm. If you talk to Bischoff, he does say that Ted Turner found these skits hilarious. I don't know. Watching it, what has it been, 17 years later? It's actually, no. No, it's what, 26 years, 27 years later. No, Watch, it's seven, 17, you're right. 17. No, it's 20, 23 years. 27, 27 years. No, almost 30 years, yeah. Yeah, 27. Watching it 27 years later. There's a reason why in wrestling you only count to 3 and 10, everybody. <laughs> I'm keeping that in. I'm not editing it out. It, it, watching it 27 years later, it doesn't age that well. <laughs> no, and, it, and Vince has always done this. Remember a couple years from now, those are the Stooges. Oh, yeah. When WCW was on the downturn, he's never been one to... Be gracious in victory, Mm-mm. or be um, or be anything but petty in defeat. Well, I mean, I think a huge example of that is when we get to two thousand, we get the right to censor. Yeah, you know, I mean, look at the year after that too—the biggest debacle creatively Oof. this this company has ever done, and probably will ever do. Yeah, we'll talk about it. All right, so I think this next match is probably the only reason we had that viewer discretion advised in the beginning because there's nothing after or before this that should warrant that i don't even think this should either but here we have a recap of the gold dust razor ramon feud and you know we, we talked about in the in your house he sends razor a letter and uh, ramon attacks gold dust on raw and they're brawling in the snow and todd pettengill's calling razor ramon the mad guy and if he loses it'll be the sad guy so we're recapping the feud, and now we have the Intercontinental title match. We have Goldust with Marlena for the very first time versus Razor Ramon, who's the champion. Marlena, a.k.a. Terry Reynolds at this time. Uh, what do you think of adding her to the mix here? It, it was fine, but I think they recognized that it wasn't adding anything to this character because there comes a point not too long from this where they just drop it entirely. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, this was this storyline. It might as well have been, like, you know, Single gold female is what they should. <laughs> we get to the match. Goldust attempt, is attempting to get into Razor's head with some gestures. He rubs Ramon's chest during a waist lock. I love Perfect during this <laughs> he's, because he's saying shit like, oh, Goldust is getting all he wants out of this match <laughs> while all this is going on. <laughs> we get some slaps, including Razor Ramon spanking Goldust and Goldust is regrouping a few times and hides behind Marlena. Razor Ramon has had enough and moves her out of the way, but Goldust uses the opening. He shoves Razor into the post and the apron. Goldust also lands a bulldog. 
And then we have Marlena blowing dust into Razor Ramon's eyes. And Goldust continues the attack and puts Razor in a sleeper hold. Mr. Perfect speculates what Goldust will do when he, when he falls asleep. <laughs> Razor fights back with a choke slam and a fallaway slam. He then gives Goldust a super back suplex, but Marlena enters the ring and pretends to twist her ankle. She's distracting the ref. So here comes the one, two, three kid. We're continuing this storyline. They should have had a, a a subtitle come up saying, yes, we are still running with this. Exactly. He hits Razor with a flying wheel kick and Goldust covers him for the victory at 14 minutes, 17 seconds. We have a new Intercontinental Champion, Goldust. I thought this was a pretty good match. Yeah, it's fine. This was the right move to uh, continue to build on this character. You know, he wins a credible title back when this title still meant something. And you were planning to move on to better things with Razor. Uh, but as we'll find out, plans were changed. Yes, plans were definitely changed. And he missed out on a WrestleMania payout. Yep, and they... Oh, we'll talk about WrestleMania. But one of my favorite lines in, in wrestling ever. <laughs> Save it, we'll get to it. All right, so now we're getting some comments from some Royal Rumble participants, including the doctor, which I mentioned earlier on, talking about Shawn Michaels. He's scared of him being amongst 29 other people, blah, blah, blah. We didn't have Owen Hart. He's predicting victory and warns that Shawn Michaels, he will end Shawn Michaels' career this time, which he should have done before. We have Jake Roberts talking about his demons and snakes. We also have Lawler saying it's called the Royal Rumble because of him, because he's royalty. We have Barry Horowitz talking about being an underdog. And we have Vader and Cornette yelling about Vader being the most powerful force in the WWF. Vader says that it's Vader time, and he proves it by headbutting a locker. We end it with Shawn Michaels saying that he's back. He did it once, and he'll do it again. And this is, I believe, the first time I heard him call the fans to click. I think so. All right. So... Let's get to it. This are we, we going to do this participant by participant? Because we're going to be here for 30 goddamn minutes. <laughs> I'm just going to go through the match, all right? Okay. I have the participants written down, but it's going to be in the flow of the match, not participant by participant. So we start off with Henry Godwin and Hunter, Hel Hunter Hearst Helmsley fighting back and forth until Bob Backlund. He enters at number three. Number four is Jerry Lawler. He grabs Godwin's slot bucket. Godwin stops him, and of course, who's going to get slopped? It's not going to be Godwin. It's not going to be Helmsley. It's going to be Lawler. And they also hit half the front row with the fucking slop bucket at the same time. Oh, poor people. Yeah. <laughs> number five is Bob Holly, and number six is King Mabel. Jake Roberts is here. He's at number seven. He throws the snake into the ring, and everyone bails between the ropes except for Jerry Lawler. And this causes Jake to put the snake on him, and Lawler disappears. More on him later. Number eight is Dory Funk Jr. Why? <laughs> number nine. Because Terry was working in Germany. <laughs> number nine is Yokozuna, who eliminates Backland. And then number 10 is 123 Kid. And Razor Ramon sees this and he chases him around the ring and they arrive to stop Razor, but he keeps coming for the kid. Again, continuing this storyline. Number 11 is Takeo Amori. He's so excited to be there, so Vince calls him a wild man. Number 12 is Savio Vega. Meanwhile, Yoko eliminates Mabel and Roberts dumps Amori. Number 13 is Vader, who gives Bob Holly some hard punches. And then Savio Vega eliminates Dory Funk. Doug Gilbert, Eddie's brother, comes in at number 14. While Vader and Yoko, they trade punches. Vader then throws out Jake Roberts. And then we have one of the squat team members, a team, for the life of me, I don't remember, but he's another big dude. He enters at number 15, and Vader eliminates Doug Gilbert. Vader also eliminates the squat team member. And then we have the second squat team member enter at number 16. Both the twins are in the ring, but Vader and Yoko send them packing. And I got to say, again, they're using Vader very well here. Oh, yeah, to the point where you might think they're going to have him win the match. But, yeah, what you could have done. I mean, I, not, 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 not off the bat. You don't have right. him win his first appearance. Oh, you could. Absolutely. Mm. That, that's, that's the way you put over your monster heel. But you would have been recycling Brett and Yokozuna. Good point. Number 17 is Owen Hart, who hits Bob Holly with a cheap shot. 
Next, we have Shawn Michaels at number 18 while Vader knocks Savio out of the match. Vader and Yoko continue to fight. Cornette begs them to stop. Shawn Michaels uses this opening to dump both Yoko and Vader. So, of course, we have Michaels be the one to eliminate the big monsters. <laughs> Even though uh, Shawn will be tossed over the top rope by Vader. <laughs> <laughs> and this is two years in a row where Shawn wins on bullshit reasons. Because the year before, they never said a thing about the both feet hitting the floor. Oh, wait till next year, my friend. <laughs> but yeah, like, like the, the Royal Rumble match is full of loopholes. <laughs> I mean, even including in 2000 when they legitimately botched the ending of the match. Yep. Michaels then press slams one, two, three, kid to the floor. We then have Hakushi coming in at number 19 while Yoko is still, uh, while Vader's still attacking Yokozuna. He then re enters the ring and pummels Shawn Michaels. Vader then press slams Michaels over the ropes, but of course it doesn't count. Vince says that Vader was eliminated, so he can't do that. <laughs> and I hear Matt groaning. <laughs> yeah, it should have been out. That doesn't say that you have to be eliminated by somebody who's still in the match. <laughs> I do like this, though, because Vader's attacking everyone until officials are making him stop. Again, you're making him this fearful heel. They're treating him very well here, I thought. Yeah, it's very rare that Vince will take people from WCW and instantly give them credibility. Yeah. Gorilla Monsoon then comes out and confronts him and demands that Vader leave. Cornette convinces him to oblige, while Tatanka, remember him? He enters at number 20. And the match resumes. Meanwhile, Owen eliminates Hakushi. While here comes Aldo Montoya, the jockstrap-wearing dude, entering at number 21. Sean falls through the ropes and finds Jerry Lawler hiding under the ring. He pulls him back in and eliminates him. Next is Big Daddy Cool Diesel. He's in at number 22. Diesel throws out Tatanka and attacks Owen. He even hits Shawn Michaels. Number 23 is Kama, the fighting machine who shaved his head for this event, and he looks like Papa Shango. <laughs> yeah, at least he didn't miss his cue. <laughs> yeah. Number 24 is Steve Austin, a.k.a. the Ringmaster. He calls him cold and calculating. Stone cold, if you will. Stone cold, yeah. Austin eliminates Bob Holly. Number 25 is Barry Horowitz. And there's a really funny point at this point, Matt. There's a really funny part of this match where Austin kind of pummels Michaels, and he mocks Michaels posing to the crowd. That always makes me laugh every time I see it. Diesel dumps out Triple H. Fatu he went, is, like, he went like almost 50 minutes. 50 minutes, yeah. Fatu is number 26. And number 27 is Isaac Yankum. We're getting all these bad gimmicks out of the way here. Yep, and look at all the people in this match that'll be huge players, you know, in just a couple of years. That's unbelievable, isn't it? People in this match who are going to be key pieces of the Attitude Era, 90% of them with gimmick overhauls. It's unbel- and that and again I'll go ahead and say that's why I love watching these is because we're seeing that happen where this is them starting and we're going to see them turn into much bigger much better characters and huge money making characters. I mean Sean was really the only one that stayed true to who he was. I mean they added more to him with DX, mm-hmm. but his character never really changed. If you know what I mean, like they no. just they just turned him he- heel and he was a bit more outgoing. But but it's not like he had a gimmick overhaul. Yep. Owen eliminates Barry Horowitz before giving Michaels another insiguri. This is told a great story because we're carrying over from that storyline we talked about at the beginning of this podcast. He then tries throwing Michaels over the ropes, but Michaels reverses it. Marty they, should have gone right after Sean. I agree. They miss Owen's elimination because of a replay. So they're replaying it, and Owen's elimination doesn't even get shown. Poor Basher gets no respect. I know. The year before, he gets in and out, even though he was one of the betting favorites to win. Mm-hmm. And Perfect makes a Rockers reference, but Vince does not respond to it. Yep. Yeah, they're rocking now, aren't they? <laughs> Silence. <laughs> Number 28 is Marty Jannetty. Again, this is your Rockers reference. How the hell did Marty Jannetty get number 28 is my question. How did he get a pay-per-view buy? That's the other question. Mm. And then we have the British Bulldog who enters at number 29. He eliminates Jannetty. Fatu then eliminates the ringmaster, which was a mistake, by the way. Austin actually slipped on the ropes. He was supposed to be in the final four. Yeah, apparently he said, like, baby oil is why he slipped. That's what he said, yeah. But if I had problems with number 28, number 30, as we mentioned in the beginning, is Duke the Dumpster Drossy. He's here at number 30. Michaels and Bulldog tumble through the ropes, so Owen attacks Sean. I got to ask you, Matt. 
as somebody who has not seen any Royal Rumble from 2005 on, does anyone who gets number 30 ever win the Rumble? Just say yes or no. Yes, and they made a big deal out of it at the time. Like when he came out, when this person comes out at 30 who eventually wins, they say no one has ever come in at 30 and won the Rumble. Okay, all right, so they do call that out. All yeah, right. it's uh, in 07. I'm not going to tell you who wins it, but... Okay. And then they did it back-to-back years. Somebody won at 30. All right. I'll keep that in mind. Michaels and Bulldog, they tumble through the ropes, so Owen attacks Sean. Officials stop him and make Owen leave. Oh, yeah, this, the three of them, this will escalate. Give it another uh, <laughs> yeah. <almost> two years. <laughs> exactly. Michaels then eliminates Isaac Yankum, while Diesel and Kama dump out Duke the Dumpster Drossy. So the final four, we have Shawn Michaels, Diesel, the British Bulldog, and Kama. So I guess it was supposed to be Austin instead of Kama. That'd be my guess. Because that would make the most sense. Because mm-hmm. like, Kama's again, the worst gimmick. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, speak, again another person who gets a better gimmick in a couple of years with the Godfather. Yes. Or a more popular gimmick. I don't know if it was a better gimmick. <laughs> no, I, uh, it was a it was a more pot, it was more over gimmick. But you're gonna yeah. argue about it. But like only in the Attitude Era could that gimmick exactly. Like, nobody would and nobody said anything. <laughs> I do find it funny that Michaels and British Bulldog are once again like in the final four of a Royal Rumble. <laughs> it's two years in a row. <laughs> I mean, it would have been funny if they were the last two. Yeah, you're right. Sean slides under the British Bulldog and clotheslines him out of the ring. Diesel then pushes Kama over the ropes, but Diesel turns around and and gets hit with the Tweet Chin music, which knocks him out of the ring. So Shawn Michaels wins at 58 minutes, 49 seconds. I thought this was a pretty good rumble. What about you? I did not. Um, I think really? this is one of those instances where, their t- unlike WCW, their talent roster wasn't quite as deep because they had to scramble to find 30 people. And a lot of it is just people just laying on the ropes. And and the final four, it doesn't last very long. Obviously, Sean winning was the obvious choice, and I had the same reaction as Mr. Perfect. No, no, come on, again? Really? <laughs> <laughs> like, this is where, you know... You kind of wish they didn't do the number one thing and saved it for this year to give him like the ultimate babyface push, where he wins from the number one spot. But they did it the year before as the heel. Mm. The, only, the best thing about this when Diesel just beats the shit out of Bulldog. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting to that. But you know, I thought what they did with Vader was good, as I mentioned. And you know, we're showing Shang overcome adversity. No, he didn't win at number one again. But they did that same thing last year we got to do something different this year. So I'm kind of with this. And, you know, Diesel's very upset here. You know, he's saying Doc Hendricks trying to talk to him, but he's not going for that interview. He'd much rather attack the Bulldog. He then turns to Hendricks and says, the only reason he is still breathing is because I allow it. Of course, pronouns, pal. He doesn't specify who he means here. But as Shawn Michaels is stripping in the ring, (laughs) Diesel returns just in time to prevent Shawn from showing his ass. And they stare at each other, and we're thinking that Diesel will attack him, but he holds up his hand for the high five that they did when they were tag team partners. They do it, and then Diesel exits the ring and gives Sean time to celebrate. I thought this told a pretty good story. We'll see this develop again in the next couple months. I also have a beef. I always think the Royal Rumble match should main event the Royal Rumble pay-per-view. I agree with that. Because they had a world title match the year before, too, and the Royal Rumble once again closed it out. So, yeah, I, I agree with you there. With, you know, this main event ends at a DQ finish. Okay, so you bring it up. Let's talk about the main event. The main event is the WWF title match. We have The Undertaker with Paul Bear versus Bret Hart, who's the champion. Still wearing the mask. Still wearing that Phantom of the Opera mask. how long he wore that. I believe he stops a little after this. Oh, yeah, by the time he's feuding with Mankind, he's not wearing it. Mm-hmm. I don't even think he wears it for the Diesel match. I don't think he does either. No, in fact, he doesn't. So the match. Brett's evading the Undertaker, but the Undertaker uses punches and throat chops. He then hits him with a claw hold. Brett gets a foot on the step, on the ropes, but Bear pushes the foot away. The fight then spills out on the floor. Brett lands a slingshot crossbody. He dives again, but Taker catches him this time and rams Bret Hart into the post. They, fa- they fight outside. Both men are whipped into the steps. When they return to the ring, Brett takes focuses his offense on the Undertaker's leg. He uses a figure four, but Taker reverses it. Taker then answers by taking the match outside. 
Paul Bear distracts the ref while Taker uses some tables and chairs on him. Bret Hart responds by t- attacking the leg again. There's a lot of rest holds here. Yeah, I mean, th- this is also new ground for Taker because he was not wrestling 30-minute matches. No. At this point, they used him predominantly in his early career for squashes or at most he'd go like 15 minutes. And a lot of that was because of the guys he worked with couldn't mm-hmm. go that long. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, when you, know, you work with Giant yeah. Gonzalez, you have no choice. Yeah, or, you know, Mabel mm-hmm. or a lot or King Kong Bundy, like, now he's actually in the ring with a guy who's got a, a motor. And this is the first time they showed, like, oh, the guy who's seven foot tall can go 30 minutes. Uh, he did it two times in a row. You know, Brett had the match with Diesel at Survivor Series that went pretty long. I mean, yeah, this, About 24 minutes, yeah. Yeah, that's a little bit longer. But it was a, I'm going to call it a test for Taker, but it was showing that, yeah, he's a lot more than the garbage they saddled him with for so long. Mm-hmm. Undertaker's leg buckles when he attempts a tombstone. Brett then goes into his routine, but Undertaker just keeps rising. Brett then removes a turnbuckle pad and goes after Undertaker's mask. He removes it. Brett then attacks Undertaker's exposed face. However, Undertaker catches Brett and hits a tombstone. He grabbed the facial appliance. <laughs> grabbed the facial appliance. <laughs> Call the mask. I don't know why that broke me. Taker then catches Brett and hits a tombstone. He covers, but here's Diesel to pull the ref out of the ring, which causes a disqualification at 28 minutes, 31 seconds. Matt, we talked last week about a triangle match, which went about the same exact length. This could have been about 10 minutes shorter. Yeah, and it's just the DQ finish. I have a lot of issues with this. Number one, it's a sour way to end the show. Yeah. Even though it protects The Undertaker, because The Undertaker very rarely loses clean. Mm-hmm. But also, like, a lot of people knew Brett was just holding the belt for Sean. Yep. And this did not do him any favors because he, he doesn't win it, you know, decisively. And I just think I don't like non-finishes closing pay-per-views, uh, especially with your world title. It just makes everything look like there's no law in the land. Well, this is two years in a row that the world title match has ended in a DQ. And yeah, you're, 95 was what? Diesel it was and, Diesel uh, and Brett. And your point about having the Royal Rumble close the match, I mean, if you have Sean celebrating in the ring, that's a great way to end a pay-per-view. You know, you have your baby face who's going after the title celebrating the ring. This is not a good way to end a pay-per-view. I'm, although Diesel flipping off Undertaker as he's walking away is pretty funny. I'll admit that. It's way ahead of his time because this is kind of the start of the Attitude Era if you really think about it. But... I don't know, man. Like, the crowd was out of this match. They were booing. These two wrestled like heels. The match was slow. The dynamic of these two is way off. They would have better matches in the future, but I don't know. These two just don't have very good chemistry. No, I think they had good chemistry. It's just they they weren't... Doing Babyface versus Babyface was was a mistake. Because I I think the Undertaker character has always been hard to root as as the Babyface, except when he's against the the other monsters. So I, I just think the whole dynamic was off. All right. Did you stick around for the post? No. Oh, you didn't see the post stuff. I'll go over this real quick. So Todd Pettengill is interviewing Gorilla Monsoon, who's saying that he signed a WWF title match between Diesel and Bret Hart, which will take place at In Your House 6. So we get that out there. We also have Doc Hendricks with Shawn Michaels, who says that he's completed phase one by winning the Royal Rumble a second time, and he says the click is running wild. Doc Henderson asks Sean about his thoughts on Diesel versus Bret Hart. Michael says that Diesel has changed, but he still loves him. Either way, he will be the man in 96. Little does he know. Next, Gorilla Monsoon returns, and Undertaker confronts him and says that it will be a cold day in hell before Diesel is WWF champion again. And Monsoon realizes that means trouble, so he changes the Bret-Diesel match to a cage match. He then asks Diesel for his thoughts on the change, and Diesel tells him to shut up. Diesel says that Monsoon has done a great job since his lobotomy. <laughs> Again, this is my favorite Diesel. Well, I got to look this up now. Oh, it's great. Diesel then calls himself the best. It's on the Peacock Network. You can see it at the end of the. Uh, I, just, I just thought the thing was over. No. <laughs> I going. Yeah, there's a whole storyline going on. Diesel then calls himself the best thing going today. Doc asks him if he's worried about The Undertaker, and Diesel reviews his mom used to lock him in a dark basement as punishment, so he's not afraid of the dark. Diesel then pretends that he's unbothered by Shawn Michaels super kicking him. He also threatens to get involved in whatever he wants, and he calls it not the WWF, but the DWF, the Diesel Wrestling Federation. 
And then someone off screen is trying to wrap up the segment and Diesel yells at him. He's like, I'll stop when I want to stop, which was a funny moment. And we're still not done because Todd Pettengill is now with Jim Cornette and a very angry Vader. Uh, Cornette calls Vader the real real winner of the Royal Rumble. And Vader's throwing chairs and punches lockers. Cornette calls him an awesome powerhouse. And he says that you can't ignore Vader when it comes to title matches. And Jim Cornette says that it's Vader time now and forever. Vader then grumps at the camera while Todd introduces a recap video of the pay-per-view, which is shit that I fucking hated. I hated when they showed these recap videos of a pay-per-view that we just watched. Yep. <laughs> I hated that shit. Yeah, they'll do it for years to come. Yeah, they'll do it Yeah, for at least a couple years for sure. Definitely check that out. It's worth it. Plus, it advances storylines, and it's about five minutes. All right, so that's the end of Royal Rumble 96. Matt, what was your highlight? What was your low light? Uh, my highlight was the, uh, I guess I'll say Perfect's reaction at the end of the Rumble match, because I think a lot of a lot of Bret Hart fans were feeling that, too, because they're like, oh, fuck, Bret's losing to Sean. Like, I think people knew that. Um, low light, uh, I can't call the Rumble match a, a low point because it's not, it's not 95. I'll say the ending of the main event is, is the low point. So looking at the show in totality, they were in a real transformational period, debuting some new names to varying degrees and getting ready to lose some of their bigger mainstays. But when you got a show named after the Royal Rumble and that match is subpar, I do have to knock it considerably, and you combine that with a match in the main event that was good but didn't have much heat and a bullshit finish, it kind of weighs down the overall show, so... I would lean to a. I'm gonna go pretty low. I'm gonna go four on ten. Wow! Like it's this just is, a just a lackluster show. I gotta say, this is our biggest disagreement since we started these shows. I really dug this show. I thought it was an overall pretty good pay per view. Now the opening match, okay, you have Ahmed Johnson and Jeff Jarrett, not the two most exciting performers on the roster, but I thought that match was okay. I thought the Goldust Razor match had some good story going on there, some good story work. And I really dug the Royal Rumble. I thought the Royal Rumble was pretty good. It did more good story work, with, mostly with Vader, building him up. And, of course, you know, the boyhood dream starting to come alive when Michaels wins it and setting up Diesel and Sean in the next couple months. The low light for me was that title match, man. You go almost 30 minutes, and a lot of it's just laying on the mat. Boring. Just Boring, boring, boring. And I'm all for rest holes. I'm all for building a story. But this really did nothing for me. And, you know, I'm not a Bret Hart hater. I, we have complimented a lot of Bret Hart matches. The one he did with Bulldog the month before this was great. But this just did not live up to anything for me. So, overall, I'm not going to go too low. I'm not going to go too high. I'm going to go six. I thought this was pretty watchable. You know, not the best rumble, obviously, but definitely a watchable event. All right, so that does it for Royal Rumble 96, our first event of 1996. Next, we are going to talk about our first Clash of Champions together, Matt. We're going to talk about Clash of Champions, which took place January of 96. These events have a close place in my heart, and I will talk about that when we get to next week's event, although next week's event doesn't really have a close place in my heart. (laughs) What are you feeling when we get to Clash of Champions, which takes place in Vegas? Uh, What happens in Vegas probably should have stayed in Vegas. (laughs) definitely and by the time this clash of champions rolled around again i'm going to get into this next week but we had nitro we had a lot of primetime wrestling it wasn't as elite as it was before so it lost a little bit of its luster but there's still some good things to talk about when we get to that event but matt i had a lot of fun going over our first world rumble together we're going to be going over a lot of these fitting that we started off with a disagreement But until next week, when we talk about WCW Clash of Champions, Matt, I'll see you at the matches. Thank you, sir. Bye.